Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. I'm your host, Glenn Broggett, back from my one week off. Yes, 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 I sat out the last week's uh, episode, but the Grizzle Vet did quite a good job uh, interviewing uh, Lance Von Eric. It was a, definitely a one where I didn't mind sitting back and letting the man do his thing. Yes, Glenn Broggett, just uh, sitting and flying solo this week, but doesn't mean that you're going to hear me for the full hour. No, 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 no on Rasslin' Memories. We have a guest this week. And oh, a quick reminder, yeah, thanks for listening, by the way. If you're uh, listening uh, to us on 90.1 FM, also online to RadioNorthland.org, where we also have over eight years of archived episodes. So don't forget about that. And of course, tune in. But I have a guest and uh, it's a guest we've had on a few different times. I've enjoyed his books thoroughly through the years. Uh, you can check out uh, his website, eatsleepwrestling.com. He's got a great, another another just main event uh, of a book, and we're going to talk about it here. Uh, a book that recently uh, was released. It covers the life of Chris Candido, and what a fan! You know, in a very short life, he had such a f- fantastic career. I thought I really enjoyed watching him in the ring. He was such a such a polished professional who left us way too early. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Chris because this book is just so good. It's called No Gimmicks needed or chris candido no gimmicks needed we're gonna talk with one of the authors of it uh johnny candido uh chris's brother is one of the authors but the man whose books i enjoy thoroughly who's putting out this uh big old whole shebang is mr john cosper and john thank you so much for uh coming back onto the program here on this uh wrestling memories sunday Hey, Glenn, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, one of the last times as far as, like, uh, books and stuff for, from you that we had uh, a guest on was was Tracy Smothers. And what a fantastic book. But, uh, of course, uh, uh, we lost Tracy last year. And, uh, boy, uh, to be able to have an interview with him, I, I definitely want to thank you so very much for that opportunity as well as enjoying his book. And, uh, yeah, what a what a guy. I mean, what a, I mean, when he passed away, so many uh, just messages of love and tribute from uh, the fellow guys and gals in the pro wrestling community. Absolutely, yeah. That was that was a tough one. I, I was at uh, actually at work the day that uh, um, got got the phone call from Madman Pondo, let me know he had passed. And I mean, he and I had just been. I mean, as we had just about every day since since we had met, we we had really started working on the book. We were trading texts and asking how he was doing. He'd been in and out of the hospital. Obviously, he, his cancer had come back. He had some serious heart issues as well. They were kind of. Uh, He'd um, been exacerbated by by the chemo and by, by the treatment previously for for the cancer, but uh, I mean a he, huge loss. But I mean, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful to have gotten to, not only gotten to work with him, but gotten to know him personally. Um, I mean, you never you never meet a kinder guy. You never meet a guy who was more um, you know who, who cared about the wrestlers and, and and cared about the business more than than uh, than Tracy Smothers. He, he was just just one of the best. Oh, absolutely. And of course, Tracy kind of has a hand, I, I guess you would say, in uh, uh, the development of what became the No Gimmicks Needed book a- as well. Because uh, before that, I, this is one of the guys that I, you know, I was always fascinated with. You know, I've heard many a story about Chris and his career. And of course, with his relationship with, with Tammy, uh, Tammy Sitch. But nobody really put out a book about Chris and, and focused on it. But you decided to, to get uh, hooked up with Johnny, his brother. But this uh, suggestion, I guess originally uh, was a Tracy Smothers sort of a project. Uh, tell us how Tracy played into uh, getting, uh, helping to get uh, a few steps into this uh, development of the book. Well, if you ask Tracy, you know, who's the favorite guy you ever stepped in the ring with, you wouldn't even be able to finish the question. It was Candido. 
just, just his favorite guy to work with and, and, and one of his favorite people in the business. Um, and, and for good reason. I mean, he was just, you know, he was just, just a great person. Uh, and, and I mean, a tremendous, tremendous wrestler, um, you know, it, it, it was, was, you know, like you said, he passed away at age 33, but he was practically a 20 year veteran by that point. Um, uh, but Tracy had, you know, it was, was one of the guys who gave him a shot early on and Smoky Mountain. He was kind of, kind of looking for something new to do. And Cornette says, who do you want to work with? And he pointed to him. He said, suicide blonde, put me in with him. I think I can have, I think I can have a good match with him. And, uh, he said it was just his favorite guy to ever be on the ring with. And, you know, if he told me once, he told me a dozen times, it's like, when you finish my book, you got to write one about Candido. So I'll, I'll put you in touch with Jimmy Shoulders. I'll put you in touch with with uh, with his brother Johnny and and I I know I know they'd be on board and, and they absolutely were so um, I, I definitely have Tracy to thank for for putting me onto this project and, and putting me on the story. Mm-hmm. And you know now getting in touch with you know you with Tracy and then Tracy kind of helping you with the connections. Uh, talk about just how you you got connected to with, with with Johnny and what were were those initial conversations like in regards to getting this book together and what was that process like from then on uh, putting the book together as far as getting the stories and all of that just just putting it together because not only uh, is it a, a big undertaking just to talk about a person's career and in, in life but you know with Johnny's case uh, this this was one. Uh, that really hit him hard. I mean, those guys were just inseparable. They were what, what their mother called them, the Moron Brothers. Yeah, the Moron Brothers was, was kind of the nickname she gave them once when they were both growing up, and then Johnny had joined his brother on the road. Uh, Tracy put me in touch with with Jimmy, who uh, WWE fans may remember him from his very brief stint as Cloudy, who was uh, the Body Donna's replacement oh, yeah. manager. Um, and and it, one of the best best Chris quotes in the book is when, when he had called Jimmy and said and from the WWE F and said, "Hey, uh, remember when we said we were painting our, our our butts blue and jump around in the, in the ring like apes?" And well, it's not that bad, but they want you to come up here and they went to they want to pitch a gimmick at you. But um, but I mean, Jimmy was was just great and he was very much on board with uh, with uh, the story being told. And um, he and I only talked once or twice, but but I got some good stories from him. And, and he's the one that made the connection with Johnny. And, uh, I mean, I mean, Johnny has been keeping the memory of, of Chris alive for, for quite some time. And, um, the, the family was certainly glad to have a story told, you know, that focused on Chris and was from Chris's point of view. You know, this is obviously not, not a story that, you know, you're likely to see. And sadly, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why you couldn't see a documentary on him on the WWE network or something like that, you know, but I mean, in, in the WWE history, you know, he, he was skipped Donna and that was about it, you know, but to ECW fans, to indie fans, uh, I mean, he was no gimmicks needed. Chris Candido, he was a guy who loved wrestling. He was a guy who left the business better than he found it. Um, he was he was a lot of people's either their favorite wrestler or their favorite wrestler to hate. And uh, you know, the, the family was was absolutely thrilled to be on board. And uh, Johnny could not have been a, a better collaborator. Um, certainly, he he had a lot of stories to share and uh, was able to get me in touch with with a lot of the guys that, that Chris had known and, and was close to, and and uh, just about anybody we reached out to, even you know with me cold calling folks and saying, Hey, would you mind sharing stories? You know, it was any, anything for Chris, you know, he, he is still very much beloved by the guys who, who were shared the locker room with him. Yeah. Having that great reputation uh, definitely uh, was, was one of the things that when people do remember Chris, but you, you know, it was also a thing uh, you talked about you know, in Chris's life and career. Uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, really, you know, some dark days. I mean, there's a lot of battles uh, and a lot of things, a lot that, that bordered on tabloid. What made you decide to, to not, you know, I mean, 
to veer not to uh, what made you decide not to veer into that territory because a lot of books could have went in that direction but you, you do cover what what went on in his life and his relationship with, with Tammy but what made you just kind of keep pull back a little bit on on, on embracing and getting it into more of a sensationalistic thing I mean because it, it could go it could have went in a whole other way with that you know say those stories have been told. Um, you know, Tammy put out her book and, and, and certainly has told her story in a number of shoot interviews and, and, and in her particular book. Uh, but I mean, we wanted to keep the focus on yeah, the tabloid stuff's not my, not my style. I'm not interested in writing no. burn books and, and, uh, you know, tor- torching people and, and the ultimate shoots where, where you destroy everybody in the industry and stuff. But, you know, I, li- I like to keep to the positive and I like to, you know, this, this is, you know, very much an inspirational story. You know, this is a kid who fell in love with wrestling you know, from the day he met his, his step-grandfather, who was Popeye Richards in the WWWF uh, way, way back in the day. And, um, you know, this is a guy who g- gave his life to the business. And, uh, well, like I said, he, he left every locker room he was in. He, he lifted everybody's spirits. He reminded them, hey, we're getting to do what we love. We're getting to do something that we dreamed about doing when we were kids. Um, you know, he was a guy, he was good to the greenest guy in the room as much as he was respectful to, to the most senior veteran in the room. And, um, you know, we, the whole focus the whole time was that this, this is Chris's story. You know, this is not the Chris and Tammy story. This is not, you know, the body Donna story. This is not the, you know, the, the tell all explicit, you know, burn every bridge, you know, in sight story. You know, this, this is the story about Chris Candido and, you know, this is for the fans. This is for, for the, the boys in the locker room who, who loved them. This is for the indie guys who only got to meet him briefly or train with him or, you know, we're, we're, we're fortunate enough to, to shake his hand one time. Um, this is this is a story to remember somebody who is who's still very much beloved and missed, and somebody like Tracy's mother's whose influence is still very much felt in the business. You know, I I don't think you could possibly calculate, you know, how many men and women, you know, Tracy's mother's and Chris Candido, you know, inspired and touched and, and made better just just from being around them, you know, even for one night. Yeah, you look um, at the, you, so look, think, you look you know, at that credit. Yeah, well, like I said, them, you know, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you look at the credit of both of them, and just you know, and just how much Chris covered, so much ground. You know, being you know, leaving at 33, he was the proverbial grizzled young vet, but yeah, he gave back so much even in his younger years because he had so much experience and had so much love for it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ian Rotten couldn't go, you know, could, couldn't say enough about you know all, all the guys that he you know touched on that that IWA Mid South locker room. You know, it was you know, it was through IWA Mid South was, was kind of where he rebuilt his reputation. And, you know, once, you know, people saw, Oh, you know, he's, he's off the drugs. He's, he's making his dates and he's, he's performing in the ring up to, you know, even better than he ever was before they started opening the doors for him. But, you know, at that time, anytime he was working for, for IWA, you know, he's in a locker room with CM Punk, you know, with, with Chris Hero, with Colt Cabana, with, with uh, Cesaro, uh, AJ Styles, you know, I mean, basically today's generation of, of superstars, even some guys that have already, you know, passed us by, um, you know, and, and there's, you know, we, we've got stories in there from, from Brian Myers is now with impact, um, you know, who got to, got to train with him just one time. And, and just, it's just the influence he had on him. Uh, Man Scout Jake Manning. And there's a great story in there about, about just how Chris took the time to, to make him not feel nervous on a show and, and, and to kind of build into him and, and even to pump him up to the promoter after he'd had his first match. And, you know, it just, like I said, you know, he, he was very grateful for what he got to do. And, uh, you know, he was always willing to give back. 
And he was so fortunate, too, to, you know, you talked about early in his life uh, where the pro wrestling bug uh, bit him, you know, connecting with Popeye Richards. Uh, you know, I originally just thought that he was his grandfather, but there was a little bit more to the story. Than, and uh, thanks to your book, I, I actually, uh, you know, found out a little bit more on his connection to Popeye Richards. Yeah, uh, it was actually his, it wasn't his, uh, his, his natural, you know, his parents had divorced when he was very young. And when his father remarried, his his basically Chris's stepmom was the daughter of Popeye Chuck Richards, and that's that's where he had met him. And you know he he was at his dad's you know just just about every weekend. And, and one day he's he's in there and wrestling just happened to be on TV, and uh, Popeye walks in and says, "Oh, there's that guy, there's that guy, there's that guy." Like, Wait, you know him? It's like, yeah, that's what I used to do. And I, it was just an instant connection between the two of them. And, and his grandfather would. Um, take him to to the the shows at Madison Square Garden. Take him backstage. He got to go to the the old you know WWF office and and uh, you know meet Gorilla Monsoon and Arnold Skoland and, and guys like that. Just just kind of rub shoulders with him. You know, got to sit on Andre the Giant's lap in the locker room when he was a little boy. So I mean, he was immersed in it very early on, and, and there was you know, absolutely nothing else he wanted to do. And uh, to hear Johnny tell it, there was nothing else he really could, as, as athletic and built as he was, uh, you know, Chris was the worst basketball player in the world. He was the worst baseball player in the world. Uh, his little league coach came up and told his mother, like, this kid's hopeless. He's never going to be a baseball player. But he, you know, one of the, one of the greatest, arguably one of the greatest wrestlers who ever stepped in the ring. And it's, you know, we talk about, you know, his, his early connection to pro wrestling. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a kid wanting to be a pro wrestler, you know, when you're younger and stuff, sometimes the dream goes to the wayside. Chris was so committed to it. I mean, he was training what he was barely what into his teens that he was so young training and stuff. And it just amazed me that how quick he, he ascended. And also around that time, he also ended up with a guy that became, I guess, a big a part of his life, uh, you know, through various promotions and just, you know, traveling through various indie dates also with his brother uh, very tight with this guy who became uh, well known to ECW fans as Balls Mahoney Jonathan Reckner now let's talk a little bit about getting into the business uh, in his teens training and making that connection with Jonathan and uh, how that became a very long-term friendship but unfortunate uh, for both uh, him and and Chris they are not no longer with us today very true yeah and actually that that's a connection that ironically happened because of baseball uh, Chris was playing in the outfield. Uh, he was he was a chubby kid and, and could not wear a, a normal uniform, so he got to basically wear whatever shirt he wanted. Happened to be wearing a Roddy Piper shirt. He's standing in the outfield playing baseball, and this kid comes riding along on his bike and's like, "Hey, you watch wrestling?" He's like, "Yeah, I watch wrestling." And they struck up a conversation, and um, you know, they didn't go to the same school. They uh, they, they kind of lived on opposite sides of town, but uh, Chris and, and John Reckner from a very early age became best buddies. Uh, and uh, started training together, started sneaking off together with a couple of other guys, um, t- taking a couple trains into New York City. Around age 13 or 14, they're wrestling in a club uh, somewhere in, in Brooklyn, you know, on, on certain nights and everything. It is Spanish-language wrestling shows, and um, they were able to connect up with uh, Larry Sharp, start training at the Monster Factory very young. And, yeah, he and, he and Balls were, were, were friends for life from, from, from the day they met. Uh, and Balls and Johnny obviously stayed very close until, you know, until the day that, uh, that uh, John unfortunately passed away as well. But uh, there's a lot of great, you know, if, if you're a Balls Mahoney fan, you're going to get a kick out of this because there's some good stories that are in there. And uh, there's a hundred more Balls Mahoney stories to tell that uh, actually Johnny and I are hoping to go back at some point and, and, and collect those stories because uh, just, just another guy who, who, who loved life and lived it to the fullest. And, and, uh, 
uh, one of those guys, very similar to Man Man Pondo, you just shake your head every time you hear a balls of a hoeing story. It's like, my gosh, this is could this possibly be, you know, the same guy I've had all these exploits and, and done all these things. And, um, you know, it just turns out just, just another larger than life figure. And, um, certainly a case of iron sharpens iron, you know, the two of them had parallel careers. They worked together in Smoky mountain. They worked together in ECW and, uh, worked together on the independence and, uh, uh, Chris absolutely loved balls. Balls love Chris and, and, and Johnny is, is the same way. So still, still just absolutely loves balls and stays in touch with his son and, uh, very, very close to that family to this day. Yeah, and that was, you know, you talked about uh, going to the Monster fa- uh, Factory training with Larry Sharp. Uh, he, uh, Chris ended up uh, working with some indie shows. Also, uh, you know, in the time span of his career, he got to work with some, uh, you know, under some very, very big minds in the business. Uh, of course, the WWF, he worked with, with Vince McMahon. He had Heyman and Cornette, uh, what, within like a year, year and a half, uh, working for those companies, mm-hmm. ECW and, and Smoky Mountain. So he, I mean, not only, I mean, this must have just been like, he could have been like a kid in a candy shop because not only was he uh, moving his career up and ascending, but he was getting to work under these great minds. And who, you know, who who knows where where Chris could have been today as far as all that expertise and all of that experience. But he he had a chance to work with Paul and, and Jim. But let's talk a little bit about uh, Smoky Mountain because you mentioned uh, balls you know, and. Um, and, and Candido, of course, uh, they had a very, him and John had a very uh, interesting uh, angle down there in Smoky Mountain. But talk about, I mean, they, he got in, Chris got down to Smoky Mountain, but this was kind of where now, you know, Tammy kind of comes in. I mean, of course, he was dating her since high school, but this is kind of the, the entry point of which Tammy found her way really into the pro wrestling business. So let's just take us into to Smoky Mountain, uh, getting into the business with Tammy and uh, down there and uh, his feud with John under the Abu Bradley. Uh, banner, a mark, his gimmick, and uh, the infamous story uh-huh. about the poor cat. Because oh, the poor cat, man! Oh, boots the cat. Yes, uh, yeah. It was uh, really the idea of, of using Tammy. It was, it was was kind of a just one of those one of those things in pro wrestling. It was just right place, right time, right person. Um, Chris wanted more than anything. He wanted to work in Smoky Mountain, and Jim Cornette would have loved to have had him in Smoky Mountain. Uh, but he just, as he told Chris over and over, it's like, Chris, I don't have the money. I don't have the money to pay you. You know, you've got a girlfriend. She's going to college down here. You know, I cannot pay you enough, you know, to, to be on these shows. He's like, I don't care. We'll sleep in my car or whatever. Uh, and, you know, there, there's some promoters that would have jumped on that right away and would, would have taken it. And to his credit, Cornette was, was not going to do that. was not going to do that to Chris or, or to Tammy. Uh, but he ended up taking him out to dinner one night. And he said, look. I need a girl. I need a girl to be a manager. I've got an idea and, and, and I've got somebody in mind. And he looks over at Tammy and uh, Tammy at that point had, and she, she was basically Chris's, you know, she, she took photos at ringside. She took videos. She helped him to cut together his demo tapes. Uh, for those who aren't aware, and I know we missed the, the cliche conversation, you know, back in the day, you couldn't send a YouTube link, you know, you, you had to send an eight by 10 photo and you send it, you sent a VHS tape. And uh, sure. Tammy was on the point to put all that together for Chris, but, um, yeah, Cornette saw something in Tammy, you know, not, not only was she beautiful, she was very smart. And once you got her in front of a camera and realized she had a photographic memory, I mean, she was perfect for, you know, and put a promo in her hand and let, let her, you know, you know whether you, you know, WWE used her initially to, to kind of promote the upcoming shows and be, be their on, on screen announcer for the upcoming events. But, uh, yeah, she very quickly, very naturally fell into that manager role and, uh, was kind of a Hillary Clinton esque type character oh, yeah. who was, um, you know, run, running her mouth and make, making the fans of East Tennessee absolutely hate her guts. 
uh, and uh, it became a natural pairing, the two of them, you know, and they, they love working together and, and uh, you know, they, they became, I mean, she, she was just an absolute lightning rod on the microphone and anybody you put beside her obviously had instant heat because they were standing next to her. Uh, talking, talking about the boot. Yeah. The, the, the Boo Bradley story with uh, uh, Boo Bradley I, I, was, was what he was called down at Smoky Mountain. But uh, yeah, John Rector came in, they gave him that character and uh, you know, he was kind of hanging around with Chris and Tammy and he had this, had this sweet little kitten named Boots that, that he was very much in love with. And uh, at some point during a feud with Cactus Jack, they had kidnapped Boots and they had threatened to kill him if they weren't able to beat Cactus. And, uh, unfortunately, I don't want to spoil the story, but you know, four Boots met, met a very, very tragic end in the ring, uh, which was obviously well orchestrated. No animals were actually harmed in the angle, but uh, certainly, you know, fans will enjoy it. One of the funniest angles, you know, that, that, that was ever done. And, um, kind of a shame wwe I, I obviously i think they had to prop out the uh, uh part of that video when they posted the, the smoky mountain episode because because of some of the copyrighted music that was used but uh you know you know boots boots was laid to rest by, by cactus jack and, and, and by boo, boo bradley and uh in a, in a very touching scene and, and uh, cactus jack kind of passing the torch to, to boo bradley down there in smoky mountain uh, that ended up being the angle in the loser leaves town match that would send chris and tammy on from smoky mountain onto the wwf and what a good send-off. I mean, what a great bit of seasoning there with, in Smoky Mountain with you talking about, you know, Tammy getting some heat. I mean, Cornette was was a guy that could get, I guess, the most out of his locker room because he had such a love for that old school. Like, he still had people believing in those crowds in the early 1990s down there, uh, not only uh, with the gangsters, uh, but also with, with, with Tammy. And uh, I, I could, you know, from what I've heard and, you know, from various podcasts through the years, it, it got kind of hairy there for Tammy as far as, you know, know fellow ladies in the audience who might have uh, taken offense because she was just so damn good at what she was doing and to have chris compliment that i mean they were a combination that you knew that they were destined for more than than just uh, the smaller independents they were rising they were they were bubbling over oh absolutely yeah she 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 told the story once about you know that the crowd chanting tammy sitch we hope you die and she's you know, being rolled out of the arena after after taking a bump and everything, which, which was pre-planned and everything, and I mean, the fans just hated her guts. You know, and, and they were they were certainly meant for for bigger things than Smoky Mountain. But you know, while, while they were there, they they really you know they really helped the fans to believe. And uh, listen, I, I've been to, I've been down to you know Central Kentucky as recently as as, as two years ago with Tracy's mothers and watched him. I mean, you want to talk about people who still believe? You know. Uh, He's, he's partnered up with, with the promoter and, and, and with the baby faces and five on five matches at the end of the night, all of a sudden he takes that two by four and he whacks it over the head of, of the lead baby face and guy in the front row screaming out, he's double crossed him. So, I mean, there, there are places you can still, you know, and, and I've seen some independent wrestlers too lately, you know, a couple of guys and ladies who can come out and get just, I mean, just have people absolutely in tears and ready to come out of their seats and rip somebody's throat out. Uh, you know, it's, I, I think it's still possible even in the state, the Sarah beyond kayfabe, but, uh, you know, boy, Jim, Jim certainly did, did have him going down there and smoking out. That's for sure. Oh yes, indeed. And just before the, the WWF uh, came a calling and, uh, they, they went to, and made their move, uh, up to New York, uh, you know, Candido speaking to Tracy, uh, Candido and Tracy, uh, where Candido went over Tracy, uh, Candido 
Guido uh, had himself a brief run uh, with the NWA title. And, of course, uh, that situation with the NWA title had its own controversy that that story has been told many a times with the ECW connection and Shane Douglas throwing down the belt. But, uh, wow, for have that uh, under his uh, you know resume, too, had to be quite impressive. And also to do it with Tracy, that, that also had to be a plus. But uh, I guess it was sort of a loyalty thing, I guess, uh, to the New Jersey promotions uh, and to the East Coast and to the NWA name that he took it on uh, and uh, kind of tried to remedy, I guess, uh, the situation that happened post-Shane Douglas. I think nobody knew, you know, the history of the business and the history of that particular title better than Chris. You know, he was he was a true scholar and a true historian uh, in the sport of wrestling, and, and uh, he was proud to carry that belt. You know, he, he was, you know, he was certainly happy that, you know, and he knew he was a placeholder just, just for a short time, and, and obviously he would end up dropping the belt to Dan Severn. Uh, who was very gracious to, get, to give me an interview and talk about that particular match um, you know, for the book. Uh, I mean, Chris was very proud to hold that title. He, he had a he, there's a great story about him meeting Luthez in an airport and to share with him, "Hey, I'm carrying the same belt you once carried." Luthez telling him, "You better watch for the double cross, kid." Uh, and there's a great photo in there too. It was actually uh, you want to you want to talk about a last minute thing, you know that 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 last minute bit you get for the book. But I got a photo sent to me from Chris's father. And it's Chris, it's, uh, it's Jack Briscoe, it's Luthez, uh, it's one or both of the Funks, and, uh, and, and Sam Munchnik, all in one photo uh, from, from, from some wrestling reunion or other. And the story I was told was that Chris had just come in to say hello and, and say hi to these guys. They're like, no, 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 sit down and talk with us. And, you know, you've got, you know, obviously the founder of the NWA and, and multiple NWA world champions, and Chris is one of them, you know, and I, I had to think that had to be one of his proudest moments. And certainly one of his proudest mementos was that photo sitting alongside his fellow NWA world champions, who were all big heroes of his, and, and a few of them he even got to work with later on. You're listening to Wrestling Memories Then and Now with uh, our guest today, John Cosper. John is the co-author of No Gimmicks Needed, Chris Candido, a great life story of the man uh, who left us way too early. It was such a great talent, uh, the book that was written by John and Chris's brother, John Candido, you can find at eatsleepwrestle.com. I want to talk now. We're going from the NWA, being the NWA champion, now to going up to the land of McMahon in the mid 1990s, where him and Tammy were, were packaged up together. Of course, we talked about a little bit about you mentioned that Tammy was doing some live uh, event uh, voiceovers and stuff uh, for the uh, the weekly television program, the, the syndicated stuff. But let's talk about uh, getting up there and uh, getting uh, trying to find that that gimmick, I guess, that eventually. Uh, evolved into what was the body Donis because there was what more of a cheerleader angle to it how did this come about and and, and the way Chris uh, you know kind of took what was given and, and kind of did the best he could with it given the circumstances I mean, they, they certainly did the best they could with, with the circumstances which which were not great or not ideal and it was that time when you know the WWE was it was all about the cartoonish characters um, actually reading R.D. Reynolds' wrestle crap book and uh, if, if you want to go in depth as to just how ridiculous and moody some of those characters got in the mid '90s, that, that's certainly a good source for you. That uh, it just makes you shake your head and be like, "I can't believe somebody thought this kind of character would draw money." But yeah, they started them off as cheerleaders, and, and that obviously wasn't a good fit. And, and then they actually wanted to go with kind of a superhero Mighty Mouse type gimmick for Chris, which they would later saddle uh, you know Pac with when when he got out to the, the main roster as Neville a couple of years ago. Um, that didn't quite fit. And then they came up with the idea of creating these fitness gurus, Skip and, Skip and Sonny, the body donnas, and 
Um, as Chris said, they're, they're, they're making me kind of a Jack LaLanne character. You know, Chris went along with it because, you know, he loves wrestling and he knew it was, you know, the biggest company in the world at that time. And, uh, you know, to his credit, he took what they gave him and he ran with it and he, he did his absolute best with it. And, um, you know, he was miserable a lot of the time having a way he did not like the outfit. He didn't like the character, but anytime he stepped into that ring that he said that was when he was his happiest and he continued to do it because he got to get in the ring every night and he got to work. And you did have some moments uh, that we still remember, you know, looking back on his run in the World Wrestling Federation at that time. And one of which was involved uh, a guy that uh, I guess he was very beloved for putting over many people through the years. And I thought that the the, the, the angle with Barry Horowitz that led up to uh, Barry getting some, some victories over Chris and leading into SummerSlam. I, I mean, for, for what they were doing with, you know, a gimmick for everything, this, that, and the other, garbage man, plumber, whatever, I thought this, even though, you know, with, with the body Donna gimmick, you know, and all of that, I thought this was really a, a fun little a little angle that it didn't stay for too long that kind of elevated. It, Chris was able to elevate Barry Horowitz and kind of kept his own sort of uh, stature. But, I mean, to make, uh, you know, chicken salad out of chicken, you know what? This was definitely a case where it, it did work out to be uh, something good. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and as I look back on those days, and, you know, I, I was in college at that at the time, kind of, just kind of a casual watcher this is the angle and this is the story that sticks with me the most. I mean, all these years later, that's the story that I remember the best from that particular time frame. You know, it was Tammy and her big stupid mouth, you know, it was Chris doing his jumping jacks looking like a goof. And then this, you know, jobber, I'd, I'd watch Barry Horowitz lose. To, I don't know how many different people. And all of a sudden he gets a win over this, this brand new arrogant heel. And then he gets another win after that. I mean, it was, it was a very memorable angle. And, you know, we, we kind of get into the back backstage, you know, version of that story and everything like that and it was just kind of an idea they pitched to tv and they asked chris what do you think about putting barry over and chris is like i don't care that sounds great I'm, i'll do whatever you want me to do and it went over so well they said well why don't we keep this going and, and, and chris was more than happy to do it um you know barry barry horowitz to this day i mean you know he, he owes that to chris and he you know still very grateful to chris for 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 even, you know allowing that angle to happen you know there's a lot of guys certainly they were in that locker room at that time that never never would have considered something like that and would have pitched a fit and would have walked right down to McMahon's office and said, I'm not doing this. And, and, uh, that's the tribute to the kind of guy Chris was. He was like, absolutely, let's do it. I mean, if this is, this is going to be what's good. Then, then let's, let's make it happen. And that continued on throughout that body Donna run because, uh, you know, not only doing the single stuff, he was eventually saddled in a few uh, tag team situations. The first of which was with Louis Spicoli, another guy that, oh, another one that we, it's so much promise that left us so, so young, uh, under uh, the grunge rock rad Radford body Donna and training gimmick. I mean, that's another guy that I think, uh, that just got his talents were, were wasted in the, in the WWF, unfortunately. But I do remember that it had some entertaining, some some little sparks of uh, inspiration there with uh, Chris and uh, Rad Radford. Yeah, he was he was kind of the body Donna in training, and and uh, yeah, Louie and Chris were, were good buds, and they remained good buds even after they got over to get over ECW and everything, and uh, just just trying to find their footing and, and just just throwing things together. And you know, unfortunately, when you're in that mid card, it, it, it was just a constant struggle to try to find your place. And you know, and uh, you know, unfortunately, it didn't work out for Louie, and, and you know, very quickly he lost that spot, but. Uh, you know, with with Chris and Sonny, they they ultimately decided to switch over and to create a uh, as as kind of a rib on Tom Tom Pritchard. You know, the, the Heavenly Bodies have him cut his hair and 
and and bleach it and, and turn it into a, a skipped on a clone, uh, which which is Brother Bruce. You know, and then Chris sent sent Chris along with a video camera to to, to videotape the entire uh, process of, of transforming his, his brother into into Zip. Uh, yeah. but, uh, uh, <laughs> How cold is that, and, uh, uh, Bruce? That, that he needed the I, I need to vi- I need this videotape. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to show it at Christmas time? My God, if I did that to any of my siblings, uh, young and old alike, I would get smacked around. But Doctor Tom was known for exactly. that hair, man. That was like the luscious rock star yeah. locks. I mean, that was part of the the, the Tom Doctor Tom package. But to be able to, you know, I, I give credit to, for Tom for for having the you know. That much in him, that much, you know, where he swallowed his pride and basically took over and said, hey, he's going to get it done because and get rid of what was really such a signature look to Tom. And, you know, I don't think his hair ever really, really fully recovered because that was, I mean, all that dye and peroxide. Oh, poor guy, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, and they called him up and they said, hey, because you know, he didn't have anything to do. You know, Jimmy, Jimmy Del Rey had, had quit and, you know, he was, he was kind of looking for something to do as well. And, you know, back then it was like, you know, if you say no to the office, they're going to give it to somebody else and you're going to get your walking papers. And they called him at home and they, they said, hey, here's the idea. We want to partner you up and we want to make you look just like Chris. And he said, absolutely no, no way. And then after thinking about it some more, he's like, you know what, I'll do it. And, and kind of the big selling point to him was like, you know, at least I get to be in the ring with Chris Candido every night. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, just like Chris, you know, he hated the outfit, he hated the hair, he hated the gimmick, you know, but he got to work with Chris every night. And he still talks to, about that to this day. And just, just what a joy, what a pleasure it was to work alongside with somebody like this. Mm-hmm. Once you got past that gimmick, yeah, you got you looked when it, it's like, yeah, it's Tom Pritchard and, and freaking Chris Candido working together, and they Absolutely. did have a uh, did have a great <laughs> run. But again, you're looking at the mid 1990s WWF, still kind of in that area of those limbo years, you know, with the, the the lawsuit Vince was facing and him not really being his hands on, and sort of the transitioning from the older guys into the new generation, and eventually becoming the Attitude Era. So it was uh, definitely an interesting era because i mean a tag team like that would have probably had a different fix in a different time but yeah they had that added to it the blonde hair and uh you talked a little bit about cloudy at the top uh, of our interview and uh, how cloudy helped contribute to the man who played the character to the project but having cloudy come in uh, to, to face opposite tammy was uh, i mean how much more can uh, chris get saddled with i mean he kept his smile on but he was definitely if there was anything going on with backstage politics i mean we could you know a lot of people want to go into that but i mean it was evident but i mean there was just so much that he had to go into not only dealing with in the ring but i mean that had to just kind of wear him out to the point of uh, his eventual exit from the company it, it certainly did, but I mean, yeah. And at the same time, too, you go back and look at some of those matches. And some of the matches weren't it weren't bad matchups. Oh, I mean, no. you had smoking guns who could both work. You had, uh, you had the Godwins, and and then the other the team they're feuding with is Marty Jannetty and Al Snow as the new Rockers. And um, you know, they were able to put on some some good matches for what they had, and, and, and to make the best of what they what they could be. But you know, certainly, you know, once you know, Chris saw what was going on over at ECW, and he saw the opportunity to. You know, to kind of break out and be himself and no longer be a cartoon character. You know, he was he was certainly ready to to move on and do that. Um, it, it was funny. I, I can't. There, there's two stories, and it's hard to know which one is which one is a true story about how he left. But you know, there was the one where he asked, you know, Vince, I want to go. I want to go work for somebody else. And everybody was leaving for WCW at the time. And Vince said, Absolutely no, no way. I'm not going to let you go. And he said, I'm going to go work for Paul. And then Vince was like, Oh, okay, good luck. 
And then the other story, you know, has has Vince telling him, "Was like I can't let you go unless I get a resignation note." He found a piece of paper said, "Vince, I quit." Chris and handed it over to him, and, and that's how he made his exit. But uh, you know, he was he was able to, to to leave on amicable terms. And you know, Tammy was still working for the company for some time, so he was kind of back and forth between you know WWF and ECW for a while. Um, but uh, you know, he he was able to get the opportunity to move over to ECW, and, and that's really kind of where his his legend in the eyes of the fans, I think, uh, really kind of blossomed was was once he got to become himself and uh, become no gimmicks needed, Chris Candido. Yeah, and get aligned with the the the, the that uh, lineup of the Triple Threat with uh, with Shane Douglas and uh, eventually uh, Bam Bam Bigelow coming down the pipe. Uh, boy, getting in with Shane and you know, what a what a great uh, I love just the Triple Threat uh, faction, but I really enjoyed this this uh, iteration of the group because uh, it was good. I mean, Shane and Chris bounced off so so well together, and then you had Bigelow, and then of course another highlight with Chris was uh, the uh, teaming up and the later feuding or the back and forth feuding with with a young Lance Storm too who was just a few years into the his career. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the two of them the two of them were oil and water, you know, as far as their personalities and their in-ring and everything. And they, they they certainly they, they they got along really really well in the locker room, but it it was a perfect combination for for on screen where you have the the tag partners who hated each other's guts who would get into fist fights in the middle of a match and then still have to try to finish the match and, and defend their titles because if they lost their titles, the stipulation was if one of them caused the other one to lose the match, then, then they were fired. Um, you know, so they were, it was, it was, it was a great, uh, great gimmick of, of two guys who hated each other who were, you know, thrust into the position of being tag team partners together. We're, we're not allowed to split up. We're not allowed to double cross one another. Uh, they had feuding theme songs. One of them used Thunderstruck. The other one used Back in Black. And <laughs> you know, if they if they used Thunderstruck when they came out to the ring, Chris would run up and he would yell at the sound guy and make him switch it over to Back in Black. And uh, they they definitely had a great gimmick going with uh, with the two of them with uh, Chris and Lance. And, you know, with Chris's run and ECW, it was a great in-ring run, but a lot of people, and thanks to this book, we'll get to figure and, and hear the story as well of, you know, just how committed Chris was uh, to the company, you know, with not only just his in-ring, but later on with, with helping uh, kind of keep it financially afloat, uh, where it was affecting his personal bottom line, uh, just in his own life and livelihood. Yeah, I mean, Chris, Chris and Tammy had done extremely well with with that WWF money. They built, they built, bought a big house, and um, you know, they they weren't real flashy with it or anything like that. But they they were, you know, they they had a real nice house, and they were very generous, obviously, with the family and and with friends. And you know, Chris's house kind of became party central for Johnny and his buddies because he was, you know, getting to be in high school at the time. But um, as things started to go south with ECW, and, and you know, this is the thing about that company that that a lot of folks know it was. You know, the people who worked there really believed in it and they were willing to sacrifice for it. Um, and unfortunately, the office kind of exploited that, you know, certainly towards the end as, as they were losing money. Um, Chris had a, a credit card that was given to him by the company and he turned his monthly expenses so that he could be reimbursed for it, which which was happening in the early days. But, you know, as the money stopped coming, you know, those reimbursements stopped coming. And, and Chris was still, you know, putting things on his card, not only for himself, but for other folks. Um, he would book travel, he would book hotels and he would turn in the expense reports, but he was not getting reimbursed. And ultimately that did put him in arrears with, with his mortgage. He ended up losing, losing the mansion that he and Tammy had bought with their WWF money. And, um, you know, so certainly his, their, their personal demons with, with the alcohol and with, with, with pills and everything was, was not helping that. But, um, it, it was, it was largely just the, you know, just 
the office taking advantage of Chris and a few others that, that really kind of brought brought him down financially. There, there's an ECW kind of came to an end. Mm-hmm. And then Chris eventually uh, ending up uh, in WCW in 2000, which unfortunately, you know, that was a company that was teetering on the brink of a uh, full collapse. But I mean, his run in WCW, how, albeit brief, uh, uh, did produce, I guess, a, a memorable moment. When I think about it, I think about that Thunder match against Terry Funk when they were doing the hardcore gimmick. <laughs> how the hell got that idea about them ending up in a horse stable? And uh, yeah, yeah, good old Bossy getting a little, little rowdy in the action too yeah terry terry's lucky he, he says that in his book he's lucky to be alive they had actually drank the horse but you know that, that horse that horse was still a little very very agitated with people being in his stall he would even get on tranquilizers uh terry, terry took a good shot to the head and still kept going but that's terry funk right yeah exactly i thought you know what did they trank that horse <laughs> or give it pcp yeah, they did. I, I don't know exactly what they gave it. I mean, and, 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 you know, Terry obviously knows horses and everything, and, and he was the one who insisted you need to give that horse something because we're going to be in a stall, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to die and die with this horse. And uh, you know, again, they, they had they had to repeat the horse, but you know, the, the horse still 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 got a shot in on Terry because he's like, hey, get out of my stall, right? What are you guys doing in here? Yeah, that was one of the bigger moments of, of Chris's short run in WCW. Of course, WCW, the wheels went off. They were sold to WWE. We all know that story. But Chris's post-career uh, World Championship Wrestling saw him on the independent circuit, even a run in Japan, which eventually, into the middle of the aughts, landed him in TNA. Now, all through that time, Chris was battling. He had his problems, his demons. But it seemed like as he was heading in and getting into the total nonstop action, the TNA run, this was a, a Chris that was, you know, climbing out of the wreckage of his own personal hell and was putting himself on track to do some pretty, pretty damn impressive things. And, uh, you know, fate had had other plans. But let's talk, you know, talk a little bit about that life, finding his way through the Indies, finding just his own sort of redemption just through, uh, you know, uh, over, you know, get, getting over his substance abuse issues and fighting them every day. Yeah, it was. Chris really was able to kind of kind of see himself. He, you know, he he had lost Luis Spicoli. He, he had died um, from, from his demons, and he'd seen a few other guys go down as well. Um, and, and Chris really kind of, you know, his family was always there for him. His, his mom was always there when he needed to talk, and they were always there to help him out. Uh, his dad was was always always there if if he needed a bailout financially. And, you know, they were all just like, well, when are you gonna when are you gonna give this up? He's like, I don't know anything else. There's nothing else that I know how to do. Uh, but he eventually realized, you know, he was not performing up to his level. He was he was letting people down. He was not being his best self, um, and he was losing his ability to to do what he loved you know, because of his pill addiction. And that was really, I think, I think what caused him to step back and say, you know what, I've got to get off this stuff. I've got to quit. I've got to go cold turkey. And he did go cold turkey off of it. Um, you know, and it was you know he never you know it was it was really this, it was the somas, it was the painkillers, it was the real real addiction for him, and the real struggle. Um, but, but after he was able to kick it, you know, he started getting back in an exercise routine. He had, he had Johnny by his side. So, you know, the two of them were training all the time. Uh, he would have a beer here and there every, every now and then, but you know, I mean, the partying was done for him. The heavy drugs was done for him. Um, and he was, he was, he was having to rebuild not just a career, but his body and his reputation. Um, and, and he really was on the way up, you know, by the time he got to TNA and, um, he got that shot in part thanks to IWN and South once again. You know, they had brought Dusty Rhodes in, and um, Ian Rotten specifically brought Dusty in because he wanted to give Chris a look and, and to let 
Dusty C that, uh, you know, this was back, you know, this, this was the old Chris Candido and uh, it's actually a newly revitalized Chris Candido. It's a guy who could be a credit to their roster, and, and, you know, not only contribute to the ring, but also be a great mentor to some of the young guys they had coming up. Uh, at the same time, he was talking to WWE. He was talking to Jim Ross, and Jim Ross was watching him very closely and obviously skeptical because, because they'd seen a lot of guys come and go over the years. They, they, they would defeat their demons, and then they would fall right back into the old trap. But, um, so who knows? Long term, he could, he could have ended up back over with, with the WWE. But uh, no, he was off to a great start with TNA, not only working singles, but also you know working as a manager. Um, with, uh, with Chase Stevens and Andy Douglas and, and, uh, uh, you know, he was, he was being, you know, any of the young guys he stepped in the ring with, you know, he was pouring himself into them. He was, uh, showing them how to work smarter and, and showing them how to tell a story. And, um, he was really, you know, again, you know, at the age of 33, he was the almost 20 year veteran, um, who was at the, the, the age that most guys are when they hit their prime. And I mean, he was, he was certainly set to to become a major, major star and a major contributor, you know, behind the scenes as well at TNA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and after his his passing, it was kind of an unfortunate uh, um, thing, too, that happened that befell on the Naturals, Andy and Chase, where their push, it seemed like when well, it wasn't all that long after Chris left and Chris left us, left this earth, that uh, those guys were, were kind of became a memory as well, which was really unfortunate because what those guys were doing together with, with you know, those, that tag team with, with Chris was really something fun. And of course, a lot of great what ifs uh, as far as like stables and factions. Absolutely. And then, then you know, you, you could easily see them being on a trajectory, going to the top of TNA and then, then moving over, going to the top of WWE. And I mean, it's every, everybody I talked to, you know, was speculating, you know, if Chris was here, where would he be? You know, would he, you know, he could be the head trainer down at NXT right now. It's very likely he could be there. It's very likely he could be one of the veterans backstage at AEW or he could be an impact or he, you know, maybe he would have gone back to new Japan, but I mean, there's no doubt he would be a major contributor at this time. He would definitely be training folks. He would definitely be pouring himself into folks. Uh, he'd be 48 years old. He'd still be having phenomenal matches right now. You know, if he was still around. So, um, it's, it's just one of those things you shake your head and you're like, why do you have to get on that plane? You know? And, um, for the fans who don't know, he had broken his leg in a match, you know, on a pay-per-view, uh, on a Sunday night and had surgery the following day, you know, on his leg and it had some screws and some plates put into his leg to repair it. Um, he was a TV taping on Tuesday and, uh, you know, it was, was there when the naturals won the tag championships, he's hobbling around on crutches and jumping in the ring and interfering in the match while he's got this ginormous cast on his leg. Uh, the last shot you see is as TV's going off is him clutching those tag team championship belts and, uh, the very next day after the TV taping, he flew home, and the very following day, he collapsed at home, was rushed to the hospital, and, and, and was dead by that evening. Um, and that's you don't travel on an airplane after you've just had surgery, just because of the danger of blood clots. And, you know, a clot from his leg had traveled up, and, and uh, that was it for him. I mean, he was he was gone. And the impact of his passing had, I mean, not only on the pro wrestling business, but also on his family and, and most notably Johnny, his uh, his fellow moron brother. And I'm saying that with love and affection, uh, having leave leave so young and, and, and being those guys being so tight. It really uh, for Johnny's case, it, it really led him to make some deep life decisions about where he wanted to go in regards to pro wrestling. Well, certainly, because, you know, I mean, obviously, Chris wasn't the only, you know, good friend that Johnny saw, you know, le you know, pass away at that time. And 
Uh, you know, he, he Bam Bam Bigelow, who he had known for, you know, well, Chris had known Bam Bam since he had started training as a teenager. He passed away, and, um, and he had been doing some some spots for for WWE. Anytime they were in the area, he would show up and he would get some extra work. And uh, they certainly thought a lot about him. Uh, they, they they thought a lot of a lot of his work in the ring, and they, they certainly saw potential in him, even though he was never offered a deal. Uh, but his family was putting a lot of pressure on him to, to step away from it. They'd already lost one son to the business, and they didn't want to lose another one. And um, it was shortly after after Chris Benoit had passed away, who Johnny had had a few interactions with, that he decided, you know what, I, I, I do need to step away from this. I don't want to lose my family. And uh, he, he was able to, you know, to move on from the business and, and, and to move on to a very successful, you know, career away from pro, pro wrestling. But, uh, you know, Johnny Swartz spent a lot of time keeping his brother's memory alive over the years and uh, was working on a guy for a couple of years on a documentary that unfortunately still hasn't seen the light of day, although, you know, ho- hopefully at some point it will. And maybe this book will be part of the impetus for, for getting it out there. But um, he was absolutely delighted, you know, when the opportunity came along to collaborate and work on this book. And um, the one shame of it is the stupid pandemic, man. You know, if it hadn't been yeah. for this pandemic, you know, it would have been great to get up there and actually, I mean, because he and I still haven't met face to face. It's all been over the phone. It's all been over text and email. And, um, you know, now, you know, Chris's room is still intact. His library of, of you know, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of wrestling magazines is still there. And, uh, you know, and Chris has done a lot to keep his brother's memory alive. And, and uh, just, just very, very thankful to that Tracy turned me on the story and was able to, to do this for Johnny, for, for Chris's parents and, and for Chris's memory as well. Absolutely. And uh, the book is No Gimmicks Needed, Chris Candido. And one of the things uh, that was kind of uh, cool, too, is, you know, Chris, uh, and I've read this through the even before I read the book, I knew of this, was Chris and his brother and, and Balls and Axel and those guys were really big Kiss fans. And this book even has a slight Kiss connection with one of the members w- with Chris. Oh, man, it was a story that uh, we, we decided to throw that in, that in as, as the introductory chapter. But uh, there is, uh, in, in Chris's hometown, there, there's a bench with a plaque in his honor uh, that, that's sitting there on the boardwalk facing the beach. And uh, Johnny was on the beach one day and walking up, and, and there's Peter Chris from Kiss sitting on Chris's bench. Uh, and, and Chris had gotten to meet Kiss a couple of times over the years, going to concerts, getting backstage passes. But, you know, he, he wasn't name enough that, that the guys in Kiss would remember him, but Johnny was able to stop and tell Peter, you know, you're sitting on my brother's bench. And, and just just be able to tell, you know, to tell Peter how much he meant to him and everything like that. And, uh, yeah, there was no bigger Kiss fan in the world than Chris Candido. I mean, uh, um, it, it was cool. I was able to find the WWF magazine from back in the day when they did an interview with Skip and Zip and asking him what their what their likes and dislikes were about different things. And um, yeah, with these old magazines, you never know if it's all kayfabe or you know if, if they actually mm. did interview the interview the, the interviewees and. Um, I scanned it and sent a copy of it up to Johnny and he said, Oh, absolutely. You know, other than saying that his favorite movie of all time was, uh, I like to hurt people. Uh, pretty much all the answers were, were legitimately Chris's answers. And, and one of them was, you know, who's the greatest band in the world. It was kiss. Um, he, and then we, we even put some, actually some of uh, Chris's kiss artwork in the book as well, or, that he had done when he was in junior high. And, um, there, there's a cool story about their, uh, their art teacher from, from when they were growing up. Uh, had found some of Chris's artwork when she was cleaning out her, her classroom. He was a very, very talented artist. Um, and she had passed some of it on to the family. And uh, an interesting wrestling connection there, too, was she had once dated Diamond Dallas Page. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, Good God. Anyway, you turn, Chris's life just completely just revolved around the pro wrestling business. It was all about wrestling, man. And, you know, and one of the what ifs, if, if he were alive today, I would think he would be in a pretty high stakes angle where he would be revealed as the long lost father of MJF. Ooh, that would be a good angle. It would be that would be interesting to see him work with MJF. Yeah, I think that I they mean, could, they could, could do you something. You can certainly see see some of even his influence in, in MJF. And um, uh, it's but I, again, I mean, Chris has just had an impact on so many people. You know, just you know, from the fan viewpoint of, of watching him work, and then the guys that he touched and the guys that he worked with in the locker rooms. You know, I, mean, I was just watching him with AJ Styles on his his first match ever on TNA from from two thousand five and. Um, it's just, it, it's just, it, he left such a, such a deep impression and was able to, you know, play a part in developing so many of those young guys and, and just think what kind of influence he would have today if he was still around. I could think of that angle. I'm still, I'm thinking about it more now in my head as I, I suggested it. You could have had, uh, you know, with, with Tammy's stepmother, you could have had Uncle Johnny, you could have had Ball, Uncle Balls, you could have had all kinds of different things if, uh, you know, in, oh, in, 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 in fantasy booking scenarios. Say, where can the folks uh, pick up the copy of Chris Candido, No Gimmicks Needed? It is available on Amazon.com. It's also available on my website, EatSleepWrestle.com. If you order through EatSleepWrestle.com, you'll get an edition that has both mine and Johnny Candido's signatures. It's, it's the same price either place. It's about 20 bucks. Uh, but Amazon.com and EatSleepWrestle.com. And, um, I've still got Tracy Smothers' books, Dr. D. David Schultz' books, uh, my Louisville books, Madman Pondo and, and the Black Panther Jim Mitchell and Elvira Snodgrass are on stock on my website as well. And Again, if you, if you order through my website, they all come signed. Oh, what a wonderful place. If you're a wrestling fan, if you know of a wrestling fan that doesn't have these books, pick them up. Give them a chance. I've enjoyed everything I've read from this man. Thank you so very, very much, John Cosper, for coming back on Wrestling Memories. Hey, Glenn, it's a pleasure. Anytime. For Wrestling Memories, I'm Glenn Broggett.